Kia ora, I'm Damien Venuto, it's September 13th and this is The Front Page, a daily podcast presented by the New Zealand Herald. Morocco has suffered its worst earthquake in six decades. Ancient buildings have been destroyed and key transport routes through the Atlas Mountains have been completely cut off since violent shakes at the end of last week. Close to 3,000 have already been confirmed as having lost their lives, with the death toll rising every day as more people are pulled from the rubble. Previous earthquakes in Morocco killed 15,000 people in 1960 and over 500 in 2004. This time around, many are still missing and others have been left homeless in the wake of the wave of destruction. When the quake hit, NZ Herald journalist Sarah Pollock happened to be in regional capital Marrakesh on a travel assignment. She was planning an evening celebration when tragedy struck in the tourist hotspot. Sarah joins the front page now from Morocco to share what she's seen in the days since the nation was shaken to its core. Sarah, can you tell us about the moment when the earthquake struck? Where were you and what happened? Yeah, absolutely. So so I was in Morocco. I was in Marrakesh, just finishing up a seven-day media trip. I'd spent seven of those days of the trip actually around the Atlas Mountains. And so we'd returned to Marrakesh just for the final evening and decided to get a celebratory drink at the rooftop of the hotel we were staying at. There was about, you know, nine of our group in total, but six of us, five of us, six of us went up to the roof for a drink. And that was probably about after an hour is when the earthquake hit. Oh my God. Were there any aftershocks after that initial earthquake? And what were your nerves like during those moments? Yeah, so we do know um, that there, there obviously were aftershocks. Immediately after, we were really fortunate we didn't feel any. In the following days, it's been a tricky thing of not knowing whether I'm feeling an aftershock or whether it's just my nerves. The risk of aftershocks has actually been probably one of the most difficult parts of the experience of just not knowing when, not knowing how big. Yeah, it's it's been incredibly anxiety-inducing. After that initial event, it's actually the anxiety stays with you because there could still be those additional aftershocks that could affect your life and everything around you, really. Absolutely. You know, and it's the Googling and it's trying to work out, you know, what's the likelihood that it's going to happen again? You know, some people are saying aftershocks progressively get slower. Other experts are saying, oh, another big one could happen. Like, you're just consistently on tenterhooks, really. Okay, let's no, go. We need to go. Go, yeah. go, go. Okay, let's go. Are you okay? Yep. Go, go, go. You see? Yes. More than 2,000 people at the time of recording have already lost their lives. How severe has the devastation been around you? So fortunately, the area that I'm staying is, is just, you know, a kilometre or two west of the main city centre in Marrakesh, which is where most of the devastation has happened, particularly in the Medina or the old town. You know, these buildings are ridiculously old. And so I was fortunate enough to be able to go around the area the last two days and look around 
you know, it's really interesting, Damien, the way that the Medina or the old town is structured. It's a really narrow labyrinth-like series of old buildings. So you can be walking down a laneway one moment and everything looks fine and there are tourists around and people are selling things and you'll turn a corner and just an entire building will be reduced to rubble. Um, I think for me, you know, the level of devastation, at least in Marrakesh and, you know, that is just a fragment of the devastation that's happened in, in the more remote villages. But is going to the squares and just seeing dozens and dozens of displaced families who have either lost their homes or are too scared to return, setting up temporary homes in the square. It's definitely extremely confronting. The village of Azni lies forlorn and in ruins. It is here in the high Atlas Mountains that the earthquake has been most devastating and deadly. There are a lot of blocked roads, a lot of people can't find their parents, and a lot of people are still under the rubble. Everything went down on them. The mountains, their homes, you can't really go through. They are still clearing the roads. Thousands of people are confirmed to have lost their lives, but how many remain unaccounted for? How many people are still being pulled from the rubble? Mm. I mean, it's an impossible question, and I think it's made even more impossible by the fact that the epicentre of this earthquake happened in such a remote part of Morocco. Those mountains, the Alice Mountains, as I said, I think that's also what's been incredibly shocking is that, you know, when it first happened, the count was 300, and overnight it jumped to 800. And I do think that it could continue to keep climbing. These are places that don't have Wi-Fi. These are places, you know, that don't have internet at the best of times. Um So I think everyone's just really hoping that that number doesn't climb any further, but we really just don't know. Sarah, how prepared was this part of Morocco for an earthquake this big? I mean, the Atlas Mountains, absolutely not. You know, we're talking traditional tiny mountain villages. The idea of earthquake strengthening, at least in our modern understanding, just doesn't exist there. Marrakesh specifically, the reason that so much devastation happened in the Medina Old Town is that those buildings were built a long, long time ago. Fortunately, I can say that for surrounding more recently built areas, everything seems to have fared really, really well, which is very encouraging. But it is heartbreaking to be walking through, you know, such a historical site in the Medina and understand that a lot of these buildings will be lost forever. What has the response been like from the Moroccan people? Have you seen or heard any stories that have really stuck in your memory? Absolutely. Yeah. I think there was one experience that really summed up for me what I've continued to see from Moroccan people is when I checked into a new hotel, the receptionist checking me in just looked me dead in the eye and said, everything is going to be okay. And then about two seconds later had, um, you know, no one is guaranteed a full life. And and at the time, I, you know, I thought, wow, those two things are really opposing, you know, either everything's going to be okay or, or they're not. But you know, I've been super surprised by this real sense of peace that everyone seems to have. And, you know, we always know in a crisis that it can bring out the best and the worst of people. And, I, and I've definitely seen the best brought out in people. There is a real business as usual. People just need to get on. You know, people are just getting on with their lives. You know, it's the only thing that they can do. But there is this real subtle sense of positivity and hope amongst the people in Marrakesh, at least, you know. And as I said, the damage is obviously a lot less than some of the other areas. But yeah, there is a real hopelessness above what is an insanely devastating situation. The front page is the NZ Herald Podcast Network's daily news show. 
Thanks for choosing to spend your time with us and be sure to rate and follow us on iHeartRadio or whichever way you choose to stay in the know. There have also been concerns around small communities being completely cut off due to the devastation of this earthquake. What's being done on the ground to help those people at the moment? Yeah, absolutely. So as I mentioned, I'd actually spent the last five or six days in the Atlas Mountains and these villages, you know, they're the definition of remote, you know, just a few hundred people. You're looking at mountain towns or villages that are terraced and just hanging onto cliff sides. And, you know, we can already see what's happened as a result of the quake to those villages. I can say, at least in Marrakesh, the police presence and the official presence is extremely high. There are policemen and officials basically on every corner guarding certain areas of the town or or just making themselves available to the people, which is really encouraging to see. As for the Atlas Mountains, it's basically one road in, one road out, and it's not a particularly great road at all times. I can't 100% say whether people have been able to easily access those remote villages. Now the organization Education for All Morocco, CEO is Sonia Omar. These girls come from rural Berber villages. The houses are extremely rudimentary. There is very little infrastructure as it is. And so we're desperately trying to reach the girls. A lot of the phones are down in these villages. They don't have resources. They don't even have secondary schools. They don't have roads. There's very little public transport. Many people have lost their homes, their livelihoods. We're starting to see images of that in New Zealand even. So how much fundraising and humanitarian work is going on across Marrakesh at the moment? I definitely think that on the ground from a local level, people are just focusing on getting to the next day. And so there isn't, you know, a whole lot of rallying or or fundraising, but it's extremely encouraging to see that that's happening on an international level because the people back home and the people in other countries who are safe, they're the ones who can direct energy and resource to fundraising for these people. Now, Sarah, nobody wants to make a story like this about themselves, but how has this affected your travel plans and your hopes of getting back home? When will you be heading back to New Zealand? Yeah, absolutely. So initially, I planned to stay in Marrakesh for four days, so until the 14th. But obviously, when everything happened, um, I made the judgment to call to get the soonest flight home that I could. So for me, there are certainly parts of Marrakesh and even in the old town, which can still be enjoyed as a tourist, but it just didn't feel right to me. There is something of a humanitarian crisis happening at the moment. And while it is important, um, tourism is insanely important for Marrakesh. I think on a personal level, my safety just needed to come first. So I will be flying home in touch for about 12 hours. So I'm really looking forward to that. Have you felt that this experience has allowed you to bond with the people around you, given that you've all suffered through something quite traumatic? Oh, incredibly so. I think at least for, you know, I was with a tour group at the time um, with Intrepid Travel and there was about nine of us and experiencing that level of intensity of emotion, that experience that you can never really fully describe to other people. Yeah, absolutely does bond you in in a really poignant way. Having lived in New Zealand and given that we are a country that's also prone to earthquakes, have you ever experienced anything close to this in your life? Without a doubt, I had not. Initially, after the earthquake happened, a few people said, oh, you live in New Zealand, you know, you must have experienced this before. And I said, the only earthquakes I've ever been in are the kind where you go, was that an earthquake? Like, mm-hmm. you know, I'm not too sure, but this is just an entirely different ball game. And I think, if anything, it has given me even just a little bit of an understanding of what people in Christchurch went through all those years ago. 
Sarah, for the New Zealanders back home who know all too well how devastating an earthquake can be, is there anything they can do to help those in Morocco right now? 100%. You know, thoughts on keeping people in your prayers is really important, but I think right now it's going to be donations to trustworthy organisations, and that is a really key part is making sure that sending, you know, tangible resources that can turn into food, it can turn into water, it can turn into electricity or rescue efforts in a country like Morocco, it's really important just to do a little bit of research and find, you know, a good and trustworthy organization. But that's 100% what people can and should be doing. Thanks for joining us, Sarah, and all the best for your trip back home. That's it for this episode of The Front Page. You can read more about today's stories and extensive news coverage at nzherald.co.nz. The Front Page is produced by Sean D. Wilson with executive producer Ethan Sills. I'm Damien Venuto. You can follow The Front Page on iHeartRadio or wherever you get your podcasts. And tune in tomorrow for another look behind the headlines.